You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole here on Connecting the Universe. Wonderful to be back here with Edge of the Rabbit Hole. We are doing this once per month uh, on Connecting the Universe as part of a special presentation. Bring on a special guest. And tonight we have Mark Anthony with us. And, of course, my co-host is Victoria Monday, uh, as always. (laughs) so uh mark if you don't know we've had mark on several times in the past but mark anthony uh he is also known as the psychic explorer psychic lawyer he is a fourth generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits he's an oxford educated attorney licensed to practice law in florida washington dc and before the united states supreme court Mark travels to mystical locations in remote corners of the world to examine ancient mysteries and supernatural phenomena. You can see several artifacts behind him there. And uh, just here recently, uh, Mark's latest triple award-winning bestseller, The Afterlife Frequency, The Scientific Proof of Spiritual Contact and How That Awareness Will Change Your Life, was also considered for a Pulitzer Prize. So, Mark, happy to have you back. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Victoria. I am so glad you guys are doing Edge of the Rabbit Hole again. It's such a great show, and I love it. Um, I love working with you guys. So thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, definitely. And Victoria has the book. Uh, it's you're... fantastic. Well, I got a pretty cool book, too. Travel through time. I mean, if the cover doesn't grab you, um, I mean, and, and the thing is, oh, there we go. So, so yeah, and, and um, for, for the benefit of the listeners, um, uh, I've known Mike for years, but I finally got to meet him last weekend, and uh, we, we had lunch, uh, and it was, it was awesome. Um, it, it was a really good time, and what I appreciate about, about uh, working with Mike, he's got so many of the same interests I do with the exploring the supernatural phenomenon and going to the mystical locations, and Victoria, I really look forward to meeting you in person because I think we'll probably not stop laughing for most of it. Yes, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, I, I'm looking forward for you to come. Really, English is my first language. I am looking forward to you coming back to Texas so I can actually meet you and get my books signed finally. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. No, I look for, I, I love Texas. Um, um, I go there a couple times a year and great people, great state. I just really enjoy enjoying Texas. Looking forward yeah, and, to it. And Mark, likewise, it was uh, really a pleasure to finally meet you because we've I've known you for years. And to be able to sit down face-to-face, have a lunch, chat a little bit before we had to scoot out of there to catch an airplane was uh, just fantastic. And I, I can't yeah, wait it, to the next time that we're able to get together. It, it was great because we did a whole – we deconstructed the latest Indiana Jones film. I mean – We did. <laughs> just being able to talk to somebody who likes it the way I do, that was great. Absolutely. Oh, it's fantastic. And- oh, yeah. I'm just saying. No, Barbie Barbie has many levels. Okay. It's not. Now, I elected Oppenheimer that night. Actually, that was a, it was a birthday present from Jen. We went to go see Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer's tomorrow. I can't wait. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and the aforementioned uh, Afterlife Frequency, uh, there it is. So I don't have my copy with me. It's in the other room. Victoria has her copy, but uh, it definitely encourage everybody to uh, to go check this out. But uh, Mark, uh, before we get into Red Light Demons, which is what our topic is uh, about this evening, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the about the Afterlife Frequency and the awards that uh, that it won here? Uh, I'm really humbled and honored. Uh, 
when I found out that it's it won three awards recently. It won the Coalition of Visionary Resources uh, Book of the Year for Reincarnation, Death, and Grieving. Then it was named Inspirational Book of the Year by Best Holistic Life magazine. And then recently at the um, OMI Awards, sponsored by OM Times and iHeartMedia, it won Metaphysical Book of the Year, and in addition to have been, um, been submitted for a Pulitzer. And then it was also designated by Pretty Progressive as one of the top books about faith in God. So I want to thank everyone for their, their kindness and their support. And it's very, very humbling to see how my words have touched so many people around the world. So uh, thank you, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Congratulations, Mark. I mean, that's that's really an honor uh, you know, to be selected for those awards and to be considered for a Pulitzer. That's that's truly amazing. I, I've read the book. Um, it is you know, it's really powerful. Uh, I agree with so many of the different uh, concepts within there about the electromagnetic soul. Uh, and you actually wrote a little piece for my book coming up here, uh, Travels Through Time, which touches on that uh, yeah. briefly. So, and I really appreciate that. So, I really highly encourage. Here it is one more time, uh, Afterlife Frequency. So, everybody, please go check it out. Thank you. Absolutely. So, all right, let's go ahead and get into uh, the red light demons. This was something I didn't really know much about uh, until really you you said, hey, this is what. I want to discuss and so looking into it uh this is really really fascinating with the uh the night vision goggles you know early era vietnam war time uh, and there was a variety of those that used red instead of green so what's what's going on here with with these night vision goggles oh uh, let's do a little bit of the history on it with mm -hmm. uh, without me going too deep into it but Around the turn of the 20th century, um, there was interest in stellar photography because all of a sudden you had uh, these big, powerful telescopes to, to uh, see stars. And then scientists started realizing that there's so much more beyond visible light and let me see if I can find um, what happened was um, there was something developed known as the aura goggles. And the aura goggles were created around the year uh, 1900. And it, they were used in stellar photography because what they did is they started expanding what what could be seen beyond the visible light spectrum. And these aura goggles, um, first off, there's this red dye called dicinum. Sometimes some people call it dicinum, but it's this red dye and was applied to the photographic plates. And then the, the telescopes were zeroing in on particular stars and all of a sudden, wow, we're seeing more things than that. And so the scientists that invented them created these goggles that could start to see. And, and if you wore them, you could see auras around people. And he also felt that you could see spirits as well. And of course, he wrote a paper on it and was immediately um, discredited by, by the scientists of the day. But he actually was onto something because it is now proven that red light actually enhances brain function it decreases reflex time. In other words, it makes your reflexes quicker. It boosts the ADP, the adenosine uh, trisphosphate levels in your brain. So essentially it energizes your brain and it increases your ability to perceive spatial relationships. So um, there was the forerunners of those. And then in the 1930s, uh, the German military not surprisingly, started developing night vision uh, capability. And so at the beginning of World War II, the Wehrmacht, uh, Hitler's military, had a decided advantage over, over allied forces because they actually had night vision, vision capability. And meanwhile, before the U.S. got into the war, U.S. military was aware of this. So 
the U.S. started developing a similar technology. So by the time that the United States entered the war, the U.S. military and the Marines had the sniper scope, which enabled uh, them to to target enemy uh, troops and and uh, tanks uh, using night vision. So there was a whole whole history of developing this night vision. And the question is, do we use red light or do we use green light? And there's decided advantages to both. And so what would have then have been the uh, advantage to using the red? Well, with red light, it's easier for the human eye to switch from day vision to night vision when being um, when when viewing things in a red light context, because with green, like for example, with our regular everyday vision, all of a sudden it's it's daytime and then it goes to night, and there's this period of time where your eyes are able to adjust to the dim light, or at least what we can see. With green, there is a decided difference between the daytime and the nighttime. But with green, you see more details and more clarity. And plus, the human eye sees more shades of green than any other color. And this is the result of evolution, because primitive humans, you know, they had to see what was hiding in the grass. Uh, It was for hunting. It was for protection. You know, is that a jaguar in that tree (laughs) waiting to pounce? But but seriously, uh, the human eye is is extremely sensitive and can and, and can detect over a million different shades of green. But with red light, what happens there, it's best for preserving night vision so that when you switch from daytime to nighttime, there isn't a, a lag in between the eye adapting. And so when using red night vision goggles, that maintains the eye's daylight sensitivity. So there's another factor, red and near infrared, and that's going to be important when we get into talking about the red light demons. Um, Red light increases the efficiency and performance of the brain. Exposure to red and near infrared light on the brain's neurons enhances their activity and enhances the human eye's ability to judge spatial uh, awareness and balance as well as reduce reflex time. So there's a lot of advantages to both, but the red light, and and also in recent years, red light therapy has been used in medical conditions to reduce inflammation of the optic nerve. It helps people with diabetes related vision issues and, you know, when I was doing the research on this, I had some red light bulbs and I put them in and I, I turned them on and I looked at it and I realized that my eye actually felt relaxed. Now, I am not telling the listeners to start staring into red lights. If you're going to get red light therapy on your eyes, please do it through medical supervision only. Okay, so I'm a lawyer. We got our disclaimer there. Um, There you go. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I totally understand that because there's, um, when I talk about uh, shadows and talking about silhouettes and things like that, you know, I do say, you know, if you stare into a light bulb too long, you start to just see a silhouette of it. And then I have to just don't actually do that. (laughs) Well, sure. Go ahead, Victoria. You have a question in there. Yeah, of course. Um, (laughs) um, I have done photography my whole life. And so doing black and white photography, I've always used filters and things. Do you think these um, goggles were um, able to pick up things in other realms because they were red? Or is it because of the chemical that was put on them? Both, but I think even more so because the dicinum dye. The dicinum dye, it's a red dye that's placed in between plates of glass. And like we were talking about earlier, initially it was used for stellar photography. But then it was seen that when they were pressed between pieces of glass and used in goggle form, it was enhancing the eye's ability to see beyond the, the white light spectrum. So think of the electromagnetic spectrum 
as a yardstick and for our our viewers overseas, a meter stick. So you have the electromagnetic spectrum and what is visible by the human eye, which is white light, would take up about half an inch on that spectrum or maybe a almost a centimeter. So what that means is the vast, I mean, extremely vast portion of the electromagnetic spectrum is beyond the human eye's ability to perceive. So when thinking of the electromagnetic visible light spectrum, think of a rainbow. And you have violet at the bottom, then blue, then green, then yellow, then orange, then red. And that's the same in, in, in every rainbow, that's, that's light refraction. And the highest wavelength frequency, the highest frequency is in the violet light, the lowest frequency, meaning that uh, the wavelength is longer, is in the red light. And the, the violet light has more energy, the red light has lower levels of energy. Now light, everything in the EM spectrum moves at the speed of light, which is 186,282 miles Per second. So it's nothing to do with the speed. It just has to do with the, the amount of energy. So when we get to the red light, which is at the top of the rainbow, and it's the lowest amount of energy of a wavelength and the lowest frequency, we go from red to infrared, which literally means before red. And the infrared spectrum is beyond the human eye's ability to perceive these red night vision goggles were not only allowing people to see in the dark, but also expanding the capability of the human eye to see into the infrared portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. Okay, now I have a follow-up question because that's exactly what I wanted you to say. Um, you know, in the eye, you have all the rods and cones and that's what you see, right? That's how you see. Um, what if like some people have not exactly a deformity, but their eye is shaped a little bit differently and the rods and the cones on the sides can actually pick up some of that red light or infrared light. And yes. that's why people are always seeing things out of the corners of the eyes. And then when they look directly at it, it's not there. Is that something that could actually take place, you think? Or or uh, what's your thoughts? Averted vision. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, you're both paranormal investigators, so I'm... <laughs> glad that you asked that question. <laughs> so many people um, report seeing a spirit. They, they feel they see a spirit in their peripheral vision, then they turn and the spirit vanishes. Or you're maybe you're in, in the bathroom and you look in the mirror and you feel that you see a loved one in, in uh, the mirror behind you turn that loved one vanishes. Have you ever tried to look at a comet? If you look at a comet straight on, you can't really see it, but you see it better out of your peripheral vision. And like you correctly pointed out, Victoria, within the eye, there are rods and cones. Cones are at the center of the retina and cones are sensitive to color and detail. And that's daytime vision. The rods, which are on the periphery of the, of the retina, are extremely light sensitive, but they don't see color. And so, so what happens is um, averted vision is a technique developed by astronomers for viewing a comet. In other words, when you see a comet, you don't look at it straight on, you look at it in your peripheral vision so that the cones are able to observe it. Likewise, in paranormal investigation or in spirit contact, exactly. When you start to see spirits, instead of turning and looking at them directly, try to observe the spirit using the, uh, the, the rods in your eye because the rods will pick up on the subtle electromagnetic energy that, that is spirits. So when people turn and, oh, the, the spirit vanished and they think, oh, well, well there was a hallucination. They're imagining it. Um, uh, they're crazy. No, you're not. It's just that it's how you perceive that energy. And so there are some people that have some extra uh, cones in their eye and they're able to see things at a greater um, uh, spectrum 
than, than people who don't. In fact, a hummingbird can see ultraviolet light because they have additional cones in their eyes that we don't. And let me take this one step further. In near-death experience research, so many people that have an NDE, you know, where you die and your spirit leaves or your electromagnetic soul leaves your body and goes into, in, into the zone between our world and the other side, people will come back and talk about colors that you can't even imagine. And for centuries, that was passed off as, oh, some type of hallucination. But now we're beginning to rethink this. And why is that? It's because they were perceiving things not with the physical apparatus of the eye, but they were seeing it from a purely electromagnetic spectrum. Ergo, they were able to tune into and perceive things beyond the finite perceptive capabilities of the human eye. Okay, one more. One more follow, follow up. Hang on, hang on. I have to, oh, I have no. to throw this out there. I have okay. to throw it out there, Victoria, because okay. this is a shameless plug. Okay. Oh. <laughs> 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 so Mark talks about this very thing about averted vision in the Shadow Dimension docu series where we're talking about right. uh, shadows and shadow entities and seeing them out of the corner of your eyes. So uh, please, by all means, go check out uh, Mark's expertise on that uh, in the Shadow Dimension. Uh, Mark is featured quite a bit in that series. So okay, Victoria. But but Mike, you take it away. Yeah. Killing <laughs> <laughs> <Mike>. me. <laughs> What you're talking about is so important, not just with the red light demons, but with the shadow dimension and with interdimensional communication and perception uh, uh, across the board. Because, you know, people think that, you know, these spirits, you know, they're shadowy. And, and I love the term, the, the shadow dimension. But what I always told people is being afraid of spirits is like being afraid of the grass because it's green or the sky because it's blue. Mm -hmm. You know, don't be afraid of it. These entities are around us. It's because we don't see them all the time. And people tend to fear the unknown. So if you don't understand something, you fear it. Because, you know, in your work, Mike, you've been documenting the shadow dimension for a long time. And some of the things, you know, we don't understand, and it is kind of kind of startling, but a lot of it isn't scary because they're not evil. They're just different they're beings in a different form than we are correct yeah and a lot of times they're just there watching observing that sort of thing and as you said people fear what they don't understand so victoria go ahead um, i know you're what if you cross your what if you cross your eyes just kidding because i saw tom's question down there yeah um, no um no that's not my question what if you're colorblind and you're like you have an nde or something are you still able to see all the colors of the rainbow and then some or is it just I got an even better, better response on that. Um, okay. My friend and colleague, Dr. Kenneth Ring, he's one of the scientists who founded the International Association for Near-Death Studies, did an entire uh, research project on people who were blind since birth who had a near-death experience. And they returned describing a visual account of what they of what they encountered. And these people were like, uh, they were like uh, describing colors, describing seeing people. Why? Because they weren't seeing with the eye, they were seeing with the electromagnetic soul. You, the EMS is your consciousness, your soul. And when it leaves the body, it is capable of perception in ways that we generally can't even begin to fathom. So to answer your question directly, Yes, colorblind people see colors, and guess what? People who are blind who come back from an NDE talk about seeing things for the first time in their life. I, I think that that is just so, it, it's so exciting. It, it's just really, really, uh, it's inspirational, it's exciting. It is also, I believe, very comforting to know that when we physically die, we don't disintegrate. We keep going. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah, we keep going and you may not be encumbered with whatever ailments like blindness that you had here on earth. Absolutely. Um, I have, I do, I've done so many readings for people where a loved one comes through 
And uh, okay, I was doing a reading for this gentleman, and this this man connected to him came through, and he was on his generational level. I said he's like a cousin or a brother, and I said I see him in these these crutches, uh, and they had the braces on his arms, and I could see he had very hard time in life, and then all of a sudden the spirit stood up, threw those things aside, and started dancing around. <laughs> and and the gentleman I was doing the reading for said, oh, my God, that was my younger brother. He had cerebral palsy. And now oh. I know free of it. And it was it was one of those, you know, where uh, as as a professional, you, you, you can't get emotionally involved. But that one, I was fighting tears. Mm. That, one yeah. was, that one really hit home. Ah. Oh, absolutely. That's now that, that's heartwarming to know that he could throw off the braces uh, but we do need to get to we do need to get to these goggles mark we do <laughs> yeah so okay so we talked you know how the eye works how the technology worked what were these it was mostly gis correct that were seeing unusual things within the red goggles correct yes um according to now i want to say this because I, I, I talked about this on Coast to Coast and I had a couple of veterans write in going, we never saw this. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, I believe this was around 1964, early 1965. I'm trying to narrow it down. There's this gentleman who's appeared on a number of programs. He never gives his last name. He always goes by Cliff. He said his father was the one um, that, that I'm going to be talking about in, in for a moment. So according to, to the legend, the U.S. military issued a number of red night vision goggles to hundreds of troops, and most of them were um, helicopter troops. And the pilots and the officers were under strict orders not to wear them. These were only for for the gunners. So what happened was a a squadron um, of of uh, helicopters was flying into an area that was not not a war zone. They were on a routine patrol. And what happened was, so let's say there's there's like six or seven helicopters. They're flying together. And Cliff's father was the officer in one of them. And suddenly the gunner on the starboard side opened fire without being ordered to do so. And he was firing at something on their level. He wasn't firing at the, the ground, at the treetops, and there was nothing else in the sky, and they were not taking um, a fire from hostiles. And, of course, he starts shooting, and the other helicopters begin going, you know, they're, they're engaging in invasive maneuvers. And the, the officer says, what the are you doing? You're, you know, I didn't order you. The, and the, the young guy, the, the, the young uh, soldier starts screaming, there, there's monsters. They're coming at me. And he goes, take those goggles off. And, and so the officer figured, all right, this guy's probably tweaking on heroin. I mean, this was Vietnam. And yes, there was drugs and all that. And, and, and the kid, his eyes were dilated and he was sweating. He said, there's monsters, there's monsters. And so, According to Cliff, he said his father put on the goggles and said, what the, no, I know you can figure out the, the word there. And he took them off. He goes, geez, he saw what looked like devils, creatures, humanoid creatures with horns, grotesque faces. Yeah, that's a good one. And, and wings that were flying out of the treetops. And, and apparently they could tell if you were, they could tell that he could see them. And then after that incident, the reports started flooding in from other troops that of reports of these gargoyle-like devil creatures. And they said that the soldiers were preoccupied with staring at the tops of trees. They said they came out of trees. And when you were wearing the goggles, for some reason, these entities, these demons were able to tell that you could see them. And the reason that the young gunner opened fire, he said that not only could they see him, but they started coming at him. So the reports started increasing. 
And then the troops that were wearing these goggles, at first they thought, hey, these are really great. They work great at night. And then there was a lot of behavior problems, a lot of fights started breaking out. And then suddenly the military confiscated all of the red night vision goggles, which according to, to Cliff's father, were made with, with lenses dyed with dicinum dye, that red dye that had been you know, developed in the late part of the uh, 19th and early part of the 20th century and used in night vision technology. And uh, I've done my research on this and I found a memo which was declassified and, and it discussed the military uh, issuing night vision uh, devices. And it did talk about some of them having defective parts. I was really looking for red night vision goggles, uh, anything about this, but there was um, quite a bit about some of them had defective parts and had to be recalled. So I'm not saying that it was because there were some <laughs> these devil creatures, but something, right. something was happening. Well, and sometimes documentation like that is going to be hard to come by if it's still classified. It might not have been declassified yet, and so therefore right. would not be available to the public, which makes that type of research very difficult. And you know, we see that, of course, with a number of different areas, including uh, the UFO community, which with the green goggles, and we just had the... Um, the UIP hearing today with the green goggles, kind of you know, a little sidebar here. Um, people report seeing more UAPs in the green, which is quite interesting. Isn't it? Um, <laughs> well, we're going to a different part of the uh, electromagnetic spectrum. So with the red goggles, they broaden your perception into the infrared portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. But so the military uh, confiscated, according to legend, um, all the red night vision goggles and replaced them with green night vision goggles. And since that time, reports of soldiers spotting UFOs, UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon, unidentified flying objects, flying saucers, has gone through the roof. In fact, there's a tour group in Sedona, Arizona, that takes people out to the desert at night and issues military-style green night vision goggles to see if they can spot UFOs. So apparently there is, is some, some pop culture and commercial appeal. But in 2022, an image of a UAP was seen through night vision goggles, and that was shown to U.S. lawmakers. So that was a year ago. And during the hearing, the House Intelligence, Counterterrorism, Counterintelligence, and counterproliferation subcommittee, Pentagon intelligence official Robert Ronald Moultrie said that through rigorous analysis, most but not all UAPs can be identified. Well, today, July 26, 2023, David Grush, former intelligence officer in the Air Force and National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, I love the names of some of these. Uh, some of these <laughs> a little lengthy, are, yeah. Yeah, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, he appeared before the House Oversight Committee um, uh, with two former fighter pilots to discuss UAPs. And Grush told lawmakers he was informed in his official capacity of a multi-decade UAP crash and a retrieval and reverse engineering program. So apparently the U.S. got a UFO and has been doing reverse engineering. And he said that he was denied access to those programs when he requested it and accused the military of misappropriating funds to shield these operations from congressional oversight. He later said he'd interviewed officials who had direct knowledge of aircraft with non human origins and that so-called biologics were recovered from the craft. Wow. It's a nice word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is there was, I, I, I watched that hearing today, you know, I've been following yeah. along and it was really quite interesting because a, a lot of the material there, honestly, 
to me, um, it, it's stuff that we've been talking about for decades. But yeah. to me, this was wonderful because now it's you know, we have this official government committee that is together and we are actually discussing it. So it's no longer, hey, you know, we're all crazy or a bunch of wackos. No, they are seriously hearing out these stories and what people are reporting. And you know, one of the, I think one of the things that they are certainly concerned about, uh, national security, how this might affect us that way. And also you're talking about the misappropriation of funds to these, yeah. you know, secret organizations within the, the government that people aren't aware of, but yes, they, they are housing, uh, you know, this technology and yeah, crashes. We can go all the way back to, to Roswell and, and talk about, uh, and talk about that when, when, when we're considering crashes and things that we've recovered. They also had Ryan Graves, a former Navy F-18 pilot. All right, uh, Mike, you were in the Air Force. I'm sure you knew some F-18 uh, pilots, and uh, these are these are pretty serious guys. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I've I've had the honor of meeting a couple Top Gun guys, and these guys are to be taken seriously. And he was stationed in Virginia Beach in 2014 when his squadron first began detecting unknown objects, they described them as dark gray or black cubes. And inside a clear sphere where the apex or tips of the cubes were touching the inside of that sphere. And he said, UAP encounters are not rare or isolated. Then he said something, let me read this one. If everyone could see the sensor and video data I witnessed, our national conversation would change. I urge us to put aside stigma and address the security and safety issues this topic represents. If UAP are foreign drones, it is an urgent national security problem. If it is something else, it is an issue for science. In either case, unidentified objects are a concern for flight safety. The American people deserve to know what is happening in our skies. It is long overdue. Yeah, yeah absolutely agree. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're all in the paranormal. Field. <clears throat> you know, we, we believe in this. Um, in my role as a medium, I have done readings on a number of people who were abductees, including two of the most famous on record, Nancy Tremaine and Calvin Parker. And it was absolutely astounding because, you know, in, in the spirit connection, the spirits of the relatives came through and they talked about their abduction experiences. And I remember I was in Denver and Rocky was there. She's my manager. She travels with me. And there was this, there was about a hundred people there. And I was drawn to this one young man and his grandfather came through and I mean, this guy stood up and he was one of these chiseled, like the perfect male specimen. And he was probably about 24, 25. I mean, this guy, he, he looked like kind of like Tom Cruise in the first Top Gun movie. He kind of had that, that thing going on. Okay. And all of a sudden, the message was about the grays. And hmm. that's why they're interested in you. And this kid started shaking. Tears came out of his eyes and he said, they come for me. They come for me. And his grandfather spirit said, it's because of the way you metabolize protein. Change your diet, change your habits, become less interesting to them. So I tell you, know, yeah, so I convey this message. And, and look, it's weird enough talking to spirits that I get. But now you're talking to spirits who are telling somebody who believes that he's been abducted by the Greys on not just once, but at least three different occasions. So about a year after that, I um, was talking to Chris DiPerno. I don't know if you've had him on your show. If you haven't, you should. He is in MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, and he debriefs people that claim to be, to be abducted and he's uh, MUFON's chief investigator for abductees. And I started talking to him about this. And he said, what did you say about the protein? I said, yeah, um, his grandfather's spirit said, you got to, you know, it's the way you metabolize protein. He said, Mark, 
What we've noticed with all the abductees is after the experience, they crave protein and salt like you can't even believe. He said, we had one guy rip open a package of hot dogs and eat them raw. And I'm like, what? He goes, there's wow. yeah, he goes, there's something about protein. So I called Calvin Parker and I, I had interviewed Calvin Parker. Um, Calvin Parker was 17 years old back in, I don't know, it was like 1972 or three, something like that. And uh, he is about as Mississippi as you're going to get. And he and his friend, they were in Pasagula, Pasagula, Mississippi. He goes, yeah, we're a couple of rednecks. We went fishing one day. And he said, all of a sudden, this metallic object comes out of the sky. And he said, we were scared and we tried to run, but we couldn't. He said there was some type of light on us. And then these two robotic objects came out, took us into this thing, and then he described what he remembers of it, which isn't pleasant. He said he felt like a lab rat. And um, and, and then after the event, uh, he and his friend, he said, you know, next thing we know, we're released. Um, he said, let's not talk about this. Well, his friend did talk about it and ended up on Johnny Carson and the talk show circuit. And, and Calvin said, you know, his family, everybody thought he was insane. And he goes, you don't get rich off saying you've been abducted by by Martians or whatever they were. Right. So, so and the thing about Calvin is he was questioned by police, by the FBI. He's been subjected to sodium pentothal, so-called truth serum, hypnosis and polygraph tests and has passed every single one for the past almost 50 years. He's, they've never been able to detect any deception on his part. And it's interesting to note that that particular day, the sheriff's department in that county where Pasagula, Mississippi is, was flooded with calls of people reporting a UFO. So I asked Calvin, do you ever crave protein? He goes, Mark, I can't get enough of it. And then he launched, <laughs> I eat meat and meat. He goes, I just can't get enough. So Chris DiPerno and I were talking about this, and he said that they're not exactly sure, but it may be possible that they're looking for people um, specifically on the basis of how they metabolize and process protein. Now, of course, and I, I can tell the two of you right now are starting to think, does that mean they're involved in some hybrid program or whatever? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know, but it certainly certainly well, makes for good conversation on edge of the rabbit hole. <laughs> it certainly does. Yeah. And and honestly, you know, the first thing that comes to mind with, with me on that, if, if we're talking the, the legendary grays, uh, you know, to me, they look rather frail. So are they trying to learn about the metabolism of protein because they are so frail and they want to do something with their own physiology to make themselves a, a better specimen? I don't know. Or maybe they're trying to do some type of hybridization to adapt them to, to this, this world. I mean, it, you know, it's great science fiction talk, and sure. you know, and I've never understood. Speculate all day on it, sure. We, we can't. <laughs> and and I've never understood why the government thinks we should not know. Because if it was an alien invasion, look, if they can get here from wherever it is that they're from, I would think our our military would be nothing. I mean, these F F eighteen pilots are saying these things are doing stuff that we can't do, and. And, you know, people say, well, it must be the Russians. Look, the Russians can't even beat the Ukrainians. I doubt they can develop a technology <laughs> that can do rings around one of our F-18s. <laughs> and, and to our that. Ukrainian friends, I didn't mean that as an insult. But, I mean, you know, Russia's been going around as the big bad all the time. And it's funny because um, a friend of mine's a doctor and she's from Russia. And she goes, you know, you Americans always say you are good guys and then you do bad things and you're always apologizing. So at least with Russia, we know we are bad guys. So we can do that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, real quick here. We have a $10 super chat from Tom McNicholas as Mark is fascinating. So thank you, Tom. Super chat, superstar. Always appreciated. <laughs> I haven't so, heard that in a while. From Sarah Youssef. 
Have these people had a metabolic workup done? Um, I, I don't know if, um, if MUFON has the ability or the funds to do that, but I'm with you on that one. I would like to see that to get the abductees and then see what's different about them. Because there's got to be something. Because um, there have been a number of people who've said that they've seen a UFO and they got hit by that light, that light that seems to paralyze them. Yeah, and then yeah. the UFO leaves. So is it possible that they're scanning? He's like, yeah, they're close, but not exactly what we want. <laughs> Just throw them back. You know, they're not the right ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we've got about 15 minutes left in the show. Let's take it back a moment here sure. to, uh, you know, the red light demons, uh, you know, that, that road that we were going on. So what do you think these things actually were? Were they something interdimensional, just maybe they exist here but they can only be seen on a certain uh at some level in the spectrum but what are we dealing with here i i've i've been so curious about what these entities are and i think that they're elementals now elementals are are spirits that are aligned with nature and they have many different names around the world. And I've encountered uh, several of them. When I was in Japan, uh, the Shinto religion calls them the Kami, K-A-M-I. In England, they're fairies. Ireland, uh, they're leprechauns. Uh, in the Nordic country, they're elves. Hawaii, the Metahune. Um, in France, gargoyles. Ooh, gargoyles. Let's zero in on that. There we go. Gargoyles. Okay. What's a pug? No. Ah. Gargoyles. No. And, and the reason I say that I think that they're they're um, elementals is because so many of the reports were that soldiers were fixated on trees and the treetops and elementals are, and it's cool because Disney's got a movie I either came out or coming out called Elementals. And and Elementals are aligned with uh, air, water, fire, or earth. And my interaction with Elementals have been that they're, they're nature spirits. Uh, they're non-human spiritual intelligence. They're not necessarily evil or negative. Um, think about images of gargoyles. They have a face that we consider grotesque. Uh, they have horn-like uh, um, uh, appendages grown out of their heads. they got wings. But gargoyles have been depicted in art for thousands of years. They're part of human history. The ancient Egyptian religion had several hybrid animal-human deities, and the Egyptians didn't consider them necessarily negative or evil. The Greeks and Romans really incorporated hybrid creatures in their beliefs, like centaurs and satyrs. Let's take the god Pan. The god Pan, he had the horns. He was His lower half of his body was a, a goat. He looks so much like a gargoyle that it is, it is absolutely amazing. And the Druids and the Celts of Northern Europe also had these, these nature deities that had these type of faces um, that looked uh, scary. And where are gargoyles depicted in European art? On churches, on cathedrals. Why? Because they're the tough guys that are scaring away the evil spirits. And the French uh, word gargouille is where we get gargoyle. And gargouille means throat or pipe. So they took these decorative, protective, uh, spooky gargoyles and then um, use them as water spouts. So they had, you know, multi-functioning. So they're guardians who are actually there to scare away evil spirits. So assuming for the sake of discussion that the GIs were seeing elementals and the elementals could tell that they, they could, could be seen by these guys wearing the red night vision goggles, that doesn't necessarily mean they were evil. It doesn't necessarily mean they were demonic. Just because something is scary looking doesn't mean that it's evil. I, I, I saw this comedian one time in, uh, in LA, and he said that the Wizard of Oz taught us 
very important lessons that beautiful people are always kind and good and you can trust them and that evil people are always ugly and mean and terrible and it's okay to kill them and <laughs> well it's a joke it's a joke so yeah but, but, but if you think about it, what was one of the most terrifying things about The Wizard of Oz? The flying monkeys. Right. Which look like gargoyles. Gargoyles. Okay, I have they a do. question about your gargoyles now. If they're supposed to be um, protectors, basically, that's why they're on the cathedrals and everything, why were they after the helicopters? Why were they attacking? They weren't attacking. They were flying at them. So okay. the question is... Are they always there? I would argue if if this story is true, you put on these night vision goggles and all of a sudden you can see not just red light, but now infrared. So, Mike, this ties into your work with the shadow dimension, because that's exactly what these goggles are doing is peering into another electromagnetic frequency. And see, a lot of what you and I have talked about is interdimensional transport and communication, which is shifting right. from one dimension to another. So these entities are around us all the time. And all of a sudden, they have a capability like, hey, these humans can see us. And so maybe they're going in for a closer look okay. to see what's going on here. So it's like all of a sudden we're invading their frequency. And it's like, hey, whoa, 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 what are these guys doing? I mean, once again, this is conjecture and speculation. But, but from everything that I saw, the gargoyle or whatever they were didn't attack, but they were zeroing in on. Okay. And, yeah, and, and I think I think that's something that we fail to do a lot is, you know, put ourselves in the shoes of whatever that entity may be. So, you know, if we even take, okay, we we're talking about, you know, extraterrestrials earlier, you know, things that we might see and... You know, take into consideration if we were to go to another planet or if we could travel interdimensionally somewhere else. And there are other beings and life forms on that planet or other dimension. What would we do? We would, you know, watch, observe, study, that right. sort of thing. And that's what a lot of people report is there's something standing in my room. There's something over there that, you know, is it might be creepy looking to us. You know, but it's not necessarily you know, attacking us or doing doing us harm. Well, sure. You know, think about an octopus. All right, on our own world, you got to go into a different world, all right, the ocean, yeah. to to encounter one, and that's a creature about as different from us as you could possibly get. It doesn't have a skeletal system. It's essentially a liquid creature. It's got five brains. It's capable of morphing, camouflage. I've encountered, uh, it's a long story, and I'll, I'll, I'll save that for another <laughs> time, but I, I've encountered a, a fairly large octopus that just freaked me out at what it could do, uh, just observing it. And now scientists realize that they're at least as intelligent as a house cat, maybe even more, because they're capable of problem solving. So here in our own world, we're encountering something that's freaky looking. And, and throughout art and history, they've always been depicted as monsters. And now we're finding out they're incredibly intelligent. They may possibly be self-aware. And unfortunately, they taste really good. Um, so, <laughs> but, but, you know, after I started reading how intelligent they were, I, I can't eat them anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's interesting because some people do speculate that they are an alien life form. That they came they here from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, That's I mean, interesting idea. It, well, it, you know, it, it, when you watch Star Trek and Star Wars, and aliens all tend to be very humanoid. Uh, chances are they're not going to be. Maybe they'll right. be more like an octopus, or or maybe they will be one of these energy beings, Mike. Maybe some of the the shadow people you've encountered are exactly. Uh, That's one of your theories: is that they're they're quantum leaping. From another dimension here and they're not they're you know they're superman uh visitor from another world i mean that's that very well could be what they are before we get too far can i ask a, a question about the red and green goggles just yes to clarify okay since red and green oscillate at different wave frequencies and stuff like that um when they had the red goggles on they were able to see demons when they had the green 
green goggles on, could they see the demons? And also part two, because I know we're running out of time. Um, With the green, 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 the green ones, they were seeing UFOs, not the uh, gargoyle. Okay, so they couldn't see those. So do you think there were more of the red goggles issued during the Vietnam era? And do you think that might be why we had more uh, vets returning with PTSD because they saw more? Very well. I, I think war uh, causes PTSD and okay. the entire red night vision goggle episode was 60 days. Okay. Uh, so, because it was, it was a new technology. It was supposed to, you know, be easier on the eye also enhance the brain of the, uh, the soldiers. Then there comes the question, was it a hallucination? The problem with that is if it was a hallucination, why was everyone having the same hallucination? And there's a thing, there's a phenomenon called the Gansfeld effect. And Gansfeld is a German word for unified field. And if you go into a sensory deprivation tank or a Gansfeld where they, uh, they put basically like you cut a ping pong ball in half, put it over your eyes and you do it in red light. Isn't that interesting? Red light. What happens is all of a sudden the brain is deprived of, of stimuli and begins to fill in the blanks. And people will hallucinate. They will have visual and auditory hallucinations. But Gansfeld effect has to be conducted in calm clinical conditions where the light is completely uniform. In combat conditions, with, with machine gun fire, explosions, human screaming, helicopters, and I'm very certain not stable light conditions, I don't think what they were seeing was the Gansfeld effect. Okay. Good to know. So I have a question here, um, kind of a little sidebar, but uh, it's from Sarah Youssef. Often you hear New Agers speak about raising vibrations. Should people try to expand their vibrations in the lower level? And if so, how should they do it? Wow. Um, how much time do we have? We got about four <laughs> minutes. Oh, four minutes. I know it's a deep question. I know. It, it, Sarah, I love that question. I wish that would have come at the beginning of the show. Um, yes and yes. Raising your vibration See, the afterlife frequency, uh, the other side is at an ultra high frequency and our material world dimension, it is a, is a lower vibration frequency. And when a spirit communicates with us, they have to bring their frequency down. We have to bring ours to a frequency match and the frequency match where there's interdimensional communication between humans and spirits occurs between the brainwave frequencies of alpha and theta, which is actually a lower um, frequency, like a deep bass sound in megahertz. So for spirit communication, you have to get into that zone. For becoming a more spiritual person, you have to get to the higher frequency. And that is as succinct as I can answer your question with two minutes left. Yeah. So since we have uh, just about two minutes left, uh, Mark, let's go ahead and uh, talk about your your book again, uh, real quick, where people can find you and uh, and all that wonderful stuff. Certainly, um, if you want to find out about um, ordering my book, or um, I invite everyone to sign up for my newsletter. You can find out about a reading with me. I have a show every week on Thursday at seven p.m. Eastern, four p.m. Pacific. The Psychic and the Doc. Please visit my website, Afterlife frequency.com and you can find out about uh, readings about my show you can also subscribe to through through my website to best holistic life magazine i write for them every month and uh, we got great articles there and if you join my newsletter you can find out about the next time i'll be on edge of the rabbit hole too <laughs> yes which we, of course we'll definitely make happen uh sometime down the road because we love having you on my friend yeah. It's great, Peter. You guys are fun to work with. And, uh, you know, everybody, I'm glad you guys um, started protesting to bring this show back on the air. (laughs) Sometimes protest is a good thing. So, yeah, uh, yeah. it was a peaceful protest. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. um, Don't even don't even get me started on 
Nah, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Mark, thank you so much again. Uh, everybody, you know, go check out his work, sign up for his new newsletter, everything. Um, we're going to go ahead and break from here. Those that are members of the Connected Universe portal, we're going to switch over to the portal site for the after show. We're going to say goodbye to Mark. Uh, we'll uh-huh. definitely, again, have you back. And uh, we're going to wrap this one up for this month. Of course, we'll have uh, the regular Connecting the Universe show uh, next week. Edge of the Rabbit Hole will be back uh, end of August. So until next time, everyone, if time really exists. <laughs>